0: Welcome to the Global Research News Hour in the summer. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe Gaki, on the homeland of the Metis and the historical territories of the Nahiowak and the Nakota. My name is Michael Welch. On July twenty eighth, The word went out on Twitter and other internet platforms that the legendary veteran journalist who produced black content in demand by major news networks and the co-founder of the Black Agenda Report passed away. He was 71 years old. Glenn Ford was a major voice for black liberation and against imperialism, and that voice was fundamentally a journalist's voice.
1: I think I was always aware of politics. That didn't mean that I had a political uh, analysis at the age of five, but I think I, was, uh, I had a political consciousness, and, uh, and, of course, that consciousness was left by the time I was uh, 10 years old.
0: He was born Glenn Rutherford on November 5th, 1949. He was the offspring of a couple in New Jersey, an Irish-American mother very devoted to political activity, and a black father DJ. The couple divorced while still young, and he drifted between his mother's role in activism and his father's life as a radio legend in Georgia. Rudy the Deuce Rutherford was a bit of a media legend in his own right. As it states on Black Agenda Report's bio of him, the Deuce was a disc jockey who became the first black man to host a non-gospel television show in the Deep South. Glenn began his career at the age of 11, reading Newswire copy on air. Back in Jersey, Glenn Ford's mother was active as a secretary with the NAACP. Glenn Ford attended an all-white class when he was in grade 8. He didn't like that experience.
1: Uh, these These were some very crude people. That was my first reaction. Uh, to being immersed in a a mostly white uh, environment in terms of school, how crude these guys were. And did you want out? I wanted out, but I couldn't because my, my mother's reputation as a member of the NAACP was at stake. There had to be some kids going to these uh, mostly white schools. And did you understand the politics of that, or oh, did yeah. you kind of I, resent I that? I resented it deeply. Uh, why don't you send my younger brother and sister? Uh, they haven't already established their uh, racial attitudes. Uh, maybe it'll do them some good uh, to, go, <laughs> to get an integrated education. I'm already done.
0: By the time he reached the age of 17, he dropped out of high school. He enlisted in the U.S. military. That journey would take him to Vietnam.
1: Well, I wasn't thinking uh, uh, too deeply about any of this. As I said, I was a 17-year-old kid who didn't know uh, quite what to do. Uh, I regretted it as as soon as I I had taken the oath, but uh, I had three years of this uh, ahead of me. I became a a paratrooper uh, so that at least I'd be in a unit that had some esprit de corps and uh, maybe that would make uh, the time uh, pass uh, more enjoyably.
0: When he returned to the country after his time in Vietnam, he looked for work. He enlisted in the only field he knew of, radio. In 1970, he had a full-time broadcast news job in Augusta, Georgia, owned by James Brown, WRDW's... The Godfather of Soul, as he was known, shortened Glenn's surname to Ford. Over the course of the years that followed, Glenn Ford became a newsman at four more stations, working on a weekly half-hour syndicated broadcast called Black World Report. And he also worked in Washington, D.C. In 1974, on behalf of the Mutual Black Network made of 88 separate stations, he served as Capitol Hill State Department and White House correspondent and as a Washington Bureau chief, while at the same time producing a daily radio commentary. In 1977, Ford co-launched, produced, and hosted America's Black Forum. It was a historical first, being the first nationally syndicated black news interview program on commercial television generating national and international headlines every week and attracted the attention of the major news services including AP, Reuters, Agence France-Presse, UPI, and even the Soviet agency TASS. Also in 1979, Ford created Black Agenda Reports, which provided five programs each day on black women, history, business, sports, and entertainment to 66 radio stations. Black Agenda Reports created more short-form programming than the two existing black radio networks combined. He also produced a syndicated McDonald's-sponsored radio series, Black History Through Music, airing at 50 radio stations across the country. In 1987, Ford launched a syndicated hip-hop music show called Wrap It Up, which played a significant role in the maturation of a new African-American musical genre. Ford created blackcommentary.com in 2002, which quickly became the most influential black political site on the Internet. Then, in 2006, he and fellow black commentator-writers Margaret Kimberly, Blue Ruth Dixon, and Lucia Stills left en masse and set up the quintessential site of the black political left, blackagendareport.com. Glenn Ford, the executive director of BAR, is referred to as a certified elder of the black journalism tribe. Margaret Kimberly was the author who announced his passing. In a recent tribute, Glenn Ford's journalism fought for Black Liberation and Against Imperialism, she wrote the following. His passing has created a huge void, not just for Black Agenda Report, the site we co-founded with the late Bruce Dixon, but for all of black politics and left media. Ford identified his political and journalistic stance with both, having created the tagline, News, Commentary and Analysis from the Black Left for BAR. He was the consummate journalist, the man who demanded a rigorous analysis of himself and others, and he lived by the dictum of afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. Ford co-founded a publication in line with his core values. He did not suffer fools gladly, succumb to corporate media and government narratives, or feel obligated to change his politics in order to elevate the black face in a high place. There are plenty of other voices we put together to offer their own thoughts about how the world will mourn Glenn's passing. Jared Ball is a professor of communication studies at the Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland, United States. He is also an author, radio host, and mixtape radio producer who worked alongside Glenn Ford several years ago. Here's a sample of his recent commemoration on the independent channel, black power media
2: writing about James Brown in 2014 Glenn Ford said quote left unsaid was the fact that Mr Brown held only one person in high regard himself with the release of the movie get on up those of us who knew Soul Brother number one are free at last to tell the truth he was an ass of the highest order end quote Glenn titled his his final words about Brown, The Hardest Working ass in Show Business. And I thought immediately that this would be how I would one day write about him. Glenn knew James Brown from working in Black Radio, a station owned by Brown, where Glenn would first learn truths about Brown, radio, and Black media, lessons he brought to his work ever since. So Glenn knew a little bit about what he said. And by that standard, I damn sure know of what I speak now, given that I knew and worked with Glenn Ford for longer and closer than he did with James Brown. I worked with Glenn from about 2001 or so until roughly 2011 and intermittently thereafter until his death though we effectively parted ways about a decade ago, because as he said of Brown, and what will undoubtedly be left unsaid in all the, un- the, all the ultimately insufficient tributes to this great man, is that Glenn was also an ass of the highest order. Glenn wasn't self-important, like he said of Brown. It wasn't himself he held in high regard beyond all else. No, that lofty space was saved strictly for Black radical analysis. His almost singular focus on that made him hold in low or with no regard damn near everybody and everything else. If you weren't helping him evolve or disseminate black radicalism, you better at least be bringing him a cigarette or a drink or be careful. Now, beyond that, it must be said clearly that this parallel I'm attempting is unfair for at least two reasons. First would have to be that I am saying this far sooner than Glenn, than Glenn did regarding Brown, though Hollywood will never make an even half-hearted attempt at a film about Glenn Ford, thereby providing some mass invitation to reflect on him or his work. To my point, Glenn was far too radical and correct to have his brilliance elevated to the level of commercial propagation. The second reason, though, is far more important. I will never be to Glenn what he was to James Brown. This isn't a comparison of proximity, it's one of importance or a comparison of their seminal relationship to their crafts. That is, Glenn Ford was to Black radical journalism, commentary, radio, and analysis to Black radical media, what Brown was to music, and would only be due to his banishment from any form of capitalist enterprise or the absence of the kinds of support offered James Brown by the most reactionary of cultural industries or politics that there will be many who don't properly appreciate the accuracy of my claim. Imagine Glenn being invited to even Obama's White House as Brown was to Nixon's. Glenn Ford should be as popular and beloved among any consumer of news as James Brown is uh, to consumers of music. He was even to black commentary what Rakim is to rap. Glenn could easily take seven commentators and put them in a line. Add seven more commentators who think they can rhyme. Will it take seven more before I go for mine? Now that's 21 commentators ate up at the same time. Glenn invented a new lane of expression, revolutionized black public popular discourse, and has provided more samples to new generations of often less capable writers, myself included, than any single journalist of the last two decades. So when anyone bristles at my describing him as I did Brown, I expect and understand any visceral reaction. All would be understandable if not justified. But for a time, I think I knew Glenn as well as anyone could. I wanted to be able to think like him, write like him, bring the funk and soul to news analysis like him. And only I cared slightly more than he did about all the feelings he hurt along the way. Never worried about how his analysis hit as long as it hit hard. And it always did. He could be brash, short, in temper, not just stature, condescending and difficult to bring to some organizational spaces. How many times have I said to someone in response to them calling me about the harshness of the critique, but was he wrong? The answer was never yes. It would be just about the way he was right. Invariably, my next line would be, you don't have to work with him, so don't take it personally and move on. When asked for whom would you die, I often think no one because in combat, I like to think more assertively about those for whom I would take the lives of others. Glenn, for a long time, topped my list. An attack on him for years would have meant an inordinate response from me. And it remains terribly painful that he did not feel the same way for me personally, even as I know he felt that way, broadly speaking, about the people. But even still, it is far more painful to know that now he is no longer here to punish this ignoble world for with his, with his viciously accurate interpretation of it, or that he is no longer here to remind me of the last thing I said to him, that everything I should, that everything I do should have been under your banner anyway. <clears throat> Rest in power, Glenn Ford, the hardest working ass in black radical media. Peace. In addition to his accomplishments in media, Glenn Ford
0: was a committed socialist and a member of the Black Panther Party. His ability and unwavering commitment to certain truths seen in the distance definitely caused some discomfort for some of what we he called the black misleadership class. I had a chance to discuss these and other issues with Ajamu Baraka. He's the National Organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace, an organization seeking to redevelop and foster historic anti-war, anti imperialist, and pro-peace positions of the radical black movement. Ajamu also serves on the Executive Committee of the U.S. Peace Council and leadership body of the United National Anti-War Coalition, and is an editor and contributing columnist for the Black Agenda Report.
3: Our first encountered Glenn... Uh, In the early 2000s, right after the Katrina uh, tragedy uh, in in Louisiana, Um, he contacted me because at that time I was working with an organization and we were trying to provide assistance, uh, political assistance to the survivors of Katrina and trying to clear up uh, some political confusion around the issue of whether or not the Katrina uh, population that was displaced, whether or not they were uh refugees because they were referred to as refugees versus what we thought was the correct uh uh, label and that is internally displaced which means that the state has certain responsibilities to these individuals so he asked me to write a short piece for a um, a publication he was working with uh, black commentate black commentator uh, which i did and that was the beginning of our Of our relationship this is like 2006 or so
0: how were you inspired by his work
3: the thing about glenn is you know people talk about uh, folks who live their lives by principles who have integrity um and some people live up to those um, um definitions and many of us don't but i would have to say glenn was one of those individuals that uh he he walked the walk okay and he he was incorruptible in that sense. and that's why for example he even revealed one of his he sees as his most egregious lapse in ethical principles when he revealed that uh back in 2003 uh him and bruce dixon came in contact with the aspiring senator from illinois barack hussein obama who was making his run for the Senate. And at that point, uh, Barack Obama would talk to almost anybody. So he talked to uh, the black commentator and they had a, a, um, a sort of a, a evaluation process, if you will. Um, and so they sent Barack some questions and uh, had some conversations with him. Um, and he basically really did not pass the test but because they did not want to be seen as being divisive, there was so much enthusiasm around this individual um, running for the Senate uh, that they, in fact, gave him a pass anyway. And he thought that was his most egregious lapse. Uh, and He went on to see how this individual, Barack Hussein Obama, went into the Senate and of course, when he became the president, uh, he said that he, he and Bruce Dixon, never made a mistake like that again. So, even to the extent of him that wanting to maintain certain uh, personal relationships with members of the Congressional Black Caucus uh, because he didn't want to be in any way influenced by those relationships, uh, he believed that the the main principle he had to live by uh, being uh, an objective journalist uh, was to be as uh, unbiased uh, and clear thinking as possible in order to uh, tell the truth as he saw them. That's how he he did his journalism, and that's, in fact, how he he lived his life.
0: Uh, Speaking of his journalism, I mean, he had the talent to uh, become much more high-profile in mainstream media, you know, but he avoided the mainstream and and, and stuck to alternative venues, especially Black Agenda Report. Um, Do you find that there are people uh who who might be might have been surprised by
3: that well actually many people were surprised because he had the talent to in fact go into the mainstream and as i write about in the piece coming out tomorrow in our next issue of black agenda report uh, they'll be devoted to glenn ford uh he he emerged at a point in u.s history where as part of the sort of counter uh, a, a certain counter-revolutionary process where they were trying to the state was trying to reincorporate uh, radical elements into the into the state if you will um, that if he was a real opportunist he would have been able to in fact enter into the uh, mainstream of, of of U.S. journalism quite seamlessly but he instead decided to try to uh build independent political independent black journalistic uh um, endeavors um and and that's what he devoted his life to we believe it's very very important for him to uh and for for the black community to have independent journalistic voices uh which is in line michael with the commitment to the, the black radical tradition um and a commitment to what he thought was important to uh, to highlight in that tradition which is uh, black radical internationalism and that commitment uh, from his point of view I think suggested he had to maintain an independent stance uh, because most mainstream uh, operations outlets uh, were very were not interested at all in a black internationalist perspective even up to today that's the case.
0: I, I find other black journalists w- would not Take on the way they take on traditional white politicians, um, you know. So I mean, you, like once he became president, anyway, uh, he he was, you know, he didn't mince words when it came to Obama. Uh, what kind of treatment did did he receive for criticizing Obama the way he did?
3: People tend to forget that when Glenn Ford, Bruce Dixon, Margaret Kimberly, and all the writers of Black Agenda Report uh, took on uh, Barack Obama, they were subjected to withering criticism and condemnation. You know, today it's, it's the much easier to be critical of Barack Obama, but well, back in those days, it was uh, even dangerous. You know, people felt so, so had such a an emotional response to this individual, so they they took on that responsibility. And, and what made it so uh, critical was the fact that they are. And and were operated from a a black perspective, and it was so incredibly important because, you know, it's without that uh, that positionality that they took regarding Barack Obama, and I have to also give credit to Counterpunch. I think the only two outlets that really uh, at that point were as critical uh, as 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 they were. uh, Of course, others you know emerged too, but you know, it. they, they, they were subjected to withering criticism and uh, it was so important for us to use the, the analysis that they were producing in our efforts not to allow for the black community to be completely swept up in the euphoria of this individual while uh, the material conditions of black people in particular the black working class uh, remained uh, uh, dire and so taking that fight up uh, keeping the focus on the black working class as opposed to the black petty bourgeoisie that was so enthused about uh, Obama was vitally important. And that's why, you know, uh, I came back or came to uh, bar myself in 2011 uh, that basically I was as when I was liberated from running from running a a particular organization. uh, I joined uh, bark and I want to be part of this effort to try to beat back the mystifications around Barack Obama and the the propping up of the state uh, and the colonial capitalist system in our communities.
0: You mentioned uh, that his brand of, of uh, the radical left activism was, was concerned not just with uh, racial politics domestically, but also as a way that pronounced his foreign policy, okay? So how did this influence the opinions of those around you? and? How did it shape his own views as an individual?
3: Well, you know, again, coming out of the black radical tradition, he had a very uh, sharp uh, analysis of, of U.S. imperialism and the need for any progressive movement to be effective uh, in the U.S. or really any place uh, to have an internationalist perspective, understanding that what we're up against is in fact a world system. So that that position that he took was, again, in line with our traditional black radical uh, tradition. And, and and it helped to, uh, to help us to revive that tradition, something that was being lost over the last few decades among uh, African people in the U.S. Uh, and so that was very, very important uh, work, a very important stance to take. Um, and it is one of the enduring contributions that we find from uh, from Barr because, it, you know, we we made the argument, and I think it was objectively true, that one could not really be a radical in the U.S. and not read uh, Black agenda report, whether or not you liked it or not or whatever, because it wasn't just dealing with quote unquote, black issues, it was dealing with the world, uh, but bringing a black radical perspective on the world. And many people, including so-called radicals in the U.S. didn't seem to, uh, uh, they've forgotten the kind of, of internationalist uh, positions that we have taken as a movement uh, in the U.S. and the fact that we have thinkers uh, and writers uh, who are as sophisticated, if not more sophisticated than what you see emerging from uh, from the so-called white left. So, you know, it was very important to see a black perspective, for example, on Afghanistan, you know, uh, or on any issue one can can can, uh, can identify. So that was the role of, of the Black Agenda Report uh, and the uh, outstanding political and intellectual leadership of, of Glenn Ford.
0: Mm. He's been, uh, I, I find famously critical of the Black misleadership class. You know, Could you tell us what did he mean by that? And could you tell us how personalities involved received it in, in the sense that they, just ignore him, or, or did they attack him uh, on an outright level?
3: Well, you know, the Black misleadership class concept was one of the efforts to try to bring back into the uh, popular discourse uh, in the African community and really beyond um, the issue of class. And the reality that, that, that uh, the, the class structure within African-American uh, population uh, had been obscured uh, over the years, and that as a consequence of the lack of, of of awareness or attention on these class issues, the emergent black petty bourgeoisie uh, that came out of the 1970s and consolidated and expanded in the 1980s were basically a, a, allowed to, uh, to serve their uh, political masters in the neoliberal um, uh, Democrat Party. And the neoliberal uh, element of the work of the of the ruling class, without any real opposition, so bringing back in this idea uh, that we have this this neo-colonial uh, black misleadership class was very important, especially at the point where younger people are coming into the movement, who was who was seeing the the contradictions of of a Barack Obama, who grew up in these urban areas that were uh, uh, governed by these uh, black petty bourgeois elements, you know, sharpening the understanding of how this, this class emerged and the role they played was vitally important. And I think it's one of the uh, major contributions to, to political discourse uh, that uh, Barr uh, provided uh, with this concept of the black uh, misleadership uh, idea.
0: I wonder if I could uh, get you to uh, maybe express a, a favorite memory you have of the man or a favorite story that he put out that uh, you found inspiring and that other people found inspiring.
3: Mm. Wow. That is a, a, a very difficult one. But I can tell you that uh, one one experience I had that's very close to my heart even now uh, that he has passed was uh, when we ended up going together to a, a conference in Beirut, Lebanon, um, and seeing the number of people who were there, who were aware of the Black agenda report, um, and and how Glenn responded to that, because he's such, he's such, he was such a humble individual. It, it was hard for him to really understand completely the scope of, of his impact and the scope of the work of Black Agenda Report, uh, so being in that environment with radicals and revolutionaries from literally around the world, and seeing how many of them uh, were not only aware of of Barr, but who read it religiously, you know, was such a gratifying experience for me because you know, uh, you know, Glenn never really understood his impact and the impact of of, of Barr. So that was something to 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 behold. To be sitting in a a refugee camp in Beirut and to have uh, Palestinians uh, tell us uh, how impact, impactful uh, Black agenda report was on, on their understanding and their reading of, of the U.S. Uh, and, and, and the world.
0: You're tuned to a special tribute to the life, legacy, and journalism of Glenn Ford, airing on the Global Research News Hour, a show funded by the Centre for Research on Globalisation and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. The show is also broadcast on other community radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. My name is Michael Welch. As mentioned, Glenn Ford's activism extended beyond racism domestically. In fact, there seems to be no division between where enhancing the black situation at home ends and where emancipating the situation on the world stage begins. This is apparent in the many positions he has taken, from Israel-Palestine to the crusade against the so-called Cuban invasion in Grenada to the conquest of one country after another in Africa. Ann Garrison had a few comments to make about the legendary Glenn Ford editing her own writing. Ann Garrison is an independent journalist based in the San Francisco Bay Area. In 2014, she received the Victoire Ingabir Umuhoza Democracy and Peace Prize for promoting peace through her reporting on conflict in the African Great Lakes region. She, of course, is a regular contributor and editor to Black Agenda Report.
4: He had such a powerful, wide-ranging intellect that he understood issues and particularly U.S. aggression and racist imperialist policy all over the continent. And he was so appreciated by so many people in Africa. I think we are going to talk to one of them, Ilya Samari, Uh, from Eritrea. I, I know there was a period when he was Eritrea's only friend. I think it may have gone on for 10 years. And we have a similar situation now with Ethiopia. The Ugandan American editor of the Black Star News said that Glenn loved the entire African family worldwide. And I'm gonna add, as as a revolutionary, he loved people, (laughs) he loved people in general. He loved humanity. I I think there was never an African country I asked him about that he was not knowledgeable about. Um, I would often send him email asking, what do you think of this? What do you think about the conflict in Burkina, in uh, South Africa? Chad, whatever, he was knowledgeable. And so many Africans considered him a great friend. He wrote a snapshot in time. I think it was in 2018. It was the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. And he had enlisted in the army at age 17 because he needed a job and he was a member of the 82nd Airborne. And in 1967, uh, the Newark Race Rebellion occurred. There were, there were other race rebellions going on across the country. But in Newark, he said, a, a lily white National Guard came in and busted black heads all over the place, even attacking particularly stores that had displayed signs like uh, Soul Brother, black owned business, to make sure that they they weren't attacked. And the sight of that to the 82nd Airborne, which was 60% black, he said, transformed them. So the next year, In 1968, when Martin Luther King was killed and rebellions broke out all over the country, the 82nd Airborne was deployed to Washington, D.C. But but their goal, having seen what happened in Newark, was to make sure that Black residents of Washington, D.C., which was then, I don't know if it still is, but then it was, a majority black city to make sure that they were not harmed by white soldiers or national guard acting like vigilantes. And he said that was very successful and um, that uh, the army brass didn't know what to do about the rise of the black ghetto army and that it was happening not only here, but in Vietnam where black soldiers were refusing to cooperate, uh, refusing to be moved around to serve as cannon fodder. And the black soldiers uh, casualty numbers fell significantly as a result. And, and he said that was the rise of the black ghetto army here and in Vietnam. Let's let's just say um, that he had a great wicked sense of irony, uh, so much so that he was even able to joke around about his illness. Uh, He suffered from kidney failure and had to be on dialysis for three years before he developed lung cancer and we we actually used to joke around about that, um, but the last message he sent to me was after I had sent him a quotation by the former Under Secretary of State for African Affairs, Tibor Nagy, who had said before he left office he was Trump's Under Secretary of State for African Affairs. He accused the TPLF, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, which is a hugely repressive force that ruled Ethiopia for 30 years with US support. He expresses anger that they had fired missiles at Eritrea uh, seeking to internationalize the conflict that they'd started last November. Anyway. Glenn responded to me and said, that's very interesting that the U.S., that a U.S. Secretary of State, that a U.S. Undersecretary of State would admit that. And then he said, you know, the medical procedures I just had failed. So, you know, and as a Baraka said, he... He told Adamu that he was determined to struggle to the very end, which is why he put out the last two uh, issues of Black Agenda Report that he worked on in his hospital bed.
0: Some of the most prominent figures acclaiming Glenn Ford are originally from select figures fighting for the country's efforts, noting the exceptional quality he brings to bear. One of these figures, Elias Amar, is from Eritrea, I asked him to introduce himself to our listeners.
5: I'm a long time engaged in the struggle for the liberation of Eritrea since the 1970s. uh, And of course, post-independence, I'm very active in Eritrean diaspora communities. I'm a journalist uh, and um, researcher uh, in Asmara too. uh, as part of a think tank called Peacebuilding Center for the Horn of Africa. So that should suffice for the background.
0: When did you first get in touch with Glenn Ford and, and what were the circumstances?
5: Well, I got in touch with him via email In 2008, the circumstances were, if you remember, uh, the election, the U.S. presidential election. Obama was the Democratic uh, Party candidate. So Glenn was uh, one of the few voices who was uh, very critical on Obama. And uh, his articles that I used to read at that time in Counterpunch uh, really made me pause and uh, examine uh, candidate Obama. I I used to keep in touch with him via email and he was kind enough to respond. Uh, Then when I came here to the US for a visit, uh, we invited him to be part of a panel, uh, give a keynote speech uh, at the Eritrea Festival in Oakland, California in 2012. So that's... um, the first time i met him in person was 2012 but uh, our contacts through email uh, goes back a little further than that i imagined him to be you know uh, physically big and uh, <laughs> aggressive type but in person uh, he was a very gentle uh, humble if i may use that term approachable and easy to to speak to and uh, you know get along with uh, so it was like an instant camaraderie as if I had uh, known him for a long long time, he put me at ease and uh, his his immense knowledge about uh, Africa, the African continent from east to west north south uh, going back to the era of uh, Nkrumah and the anti colonial struggle that was uh, impressed me immediately he, he was well read uh, deep intellectual uh, sharp analysis and so uh, you know from from the very first time i met him well he was like a soul brother if you will mm-hmm. that was my impression of him a gentle soul yet in his writing and his journalism he was uh, a very tough fighter, a ten, uh, you know, a tenacious, resilient fighter. And he, he combined uh, elements of Malcolm X, if you will, in his uh, fierce uh, warrior, as a fierce warrior fighting for his people, and uh, the scholarly type of intellectual of W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, that's, what, <laughs> that, that's what I got from, from the first impression.
0: Could you say anything about how Glenn uh, captured the, the politics of Eritrea? Or, or to put it another way, how was it fundamentally different from the way, you know, many or most black left activists will represent it?
5: Glenn Ford's uh, understanding of Eritrea struggle was, uh, was deep and nuanced. He understood that this was a long struggle against the the mighty, the superpowers. One time, U.S.-backed Ethiopia, and then when the military junta, the DERG, came to power and was supported by the Soviet Union, also uh, against a Soviet-backed regime. But uh, the fierce independence of uh, Eritrea's uh, maintaining its... uh, Long struggle against the mighty, I think, must have impressed Glenn Ford. In a way, also, from the Black perspective, it was uh, became easier for him to sympathize with this uh, David versus Goliath type of struggle, I think. Uh, that That's from my long conversation with him. That's what I got. Uh, but he was very well read uh, about the Israel struggle from way back in the 1970s, from his younger days in the Black Panther Party.
0: Okay. Um, now uh, you you just mentioned earlier that Glenn was like a brother to you, uh, and an awesome.
5: older brother. Yes, is, he's uh, is about uh, he was about ten years older than me, so <laughs> Uh, like an older brother, a mentor type of of relationship. If, if I if I dare say, a revolutionary mentor is is uh, what I he was to me. But the relationship always was close. Uh, yeah when we when i called after a long time of absence uh, you know it was as if we had never stopped uh, conversing or talking to each other like we like we talk every day and we would pick up from what, where we left off and Uh, you only needed to give him the basic information about what is happening in the Horn of African politics and he would immediately pick up and uh, fill uh, the rest of the gap. Uh, It was that kind of sharp uh, analytic mind.
0: What was your last encounter with Glenn?
5: Uh, My last encounter was uh, after the interview he gave in 2018, when uh, the new government of the reformist uh, uh, Prime Minister uh, Abiy Ahmed came to power in Ethiopia and uh, the peace uh, deal was signed uh, in Asmara between Eritrea and Ethiopia after a long period of conflict uh the, i called him and he was very happy about that but a week before that he had sort of predicted the trajectory he he had an interview with uh, uh, the real news network uh, uh lengthy uh 17 minutes interview and he was right on the money i mean in in way of predicting how this reform government uh, has uh, uh, you know, made the peace overtures, and that Eritrea, after carefully studying it, would uh, would have to to respond to that. Is what he said. So a week after that interview, indeed, uh, the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed uh, traveled to Eritrea, and uh, peace agreement was signed. So that was uh, when I talked to him uh, to to fill him in about that. So now it's almost uh, three years, I think. Yeah, that was it.
0: And uh,
5: I have been meaning to call him off late uh, to do an interview. I have a, a show on the Horn of Africa TV. So I was always thinking in the back of my mind, I have to interview Glenn, uh, you know, do a very lengthy, like one hour interview. Uh, but it wasn't, wasn't to be, unfortunately, sadly.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I, what were your your thoughts when you got the news that he died?
5: Oh, devastated. I, uh, you know, he never talked about uh, ailments or illnesses. Uh, for example, I remember him at one time telling me about uh, his comrade Bruce Dixon's illness huh? and how they were. Uh, you know, working on a book to, to get out a book to, to help uh, pay expenses uh, for his treatment. But he never talked about himself or his illness uh, or, uh, you know, he never talked at, 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 like a uh, personal level for him, the struggle and the larger uh, political issues uh, these were the, the important issues, uh, ideas and all that. Uh, it was as if it was... Uh, I mean, he did talk about uh, uh, his childhood growing up and that, that story how the godfather of Sir James Brown, shortened his name from Rutherford to Ford. He told me uh, things like that, but... <laughs> this was like in passing uh, kind of uh, things. He was more... Uh, Concerned about great issues of ideas uh, revolutionary cause and uh, the struggle uh, that that was his focus i think uh so it came as a devastating shocking news to me when when I heard his passing uh, and from what i'm I'm reading now from comrades and colleagues friends uh that he, he kept going till the very end. Uh, I was reading a tribute by Ajamo Baraka, for example, in Black Agenda Report, which impressed me till, till the very end. He he was, you know, uh, working from his bed at the hospital to to get the last issue of Black Agenda Report. Now that to me is, is, a, is a high standard, a great commitment, and that perfectly describes uh, the man and uh, the revolutionary hero that Clendinford was till the very end, he kept struggling. And so, well, we say Aluta Continua." We will honor and cherish his memory and legacy, and continue the struggle uh, uh, and learn from him. In one of uh, my conversations with him, I always uh, I was urging him to write his biography, you know, political biography. So that the younger generation could learn from it, but he was uh, he kind of dismissed it. There's not enough time, he said. <laughs> uh, I wish he had uh, he had time to to write uh, the story of his life and through his through his story, the story of the struggle, of his involvement uh, in the struggle from his uh, youth uh, to, to the very end. I wish he had uh, done that, but. Perhaps uh, others may, may, may take that up uh, in an edited volume, an anthology sort of, uh, a tribute to, to his life and works.
0: On the other side of the Atlantic Divide is the island country of Haiti. Here is Dahoud André, a Brooklyn-based radio host and organizer with the Committee to Mobilize Against Dictatorship in Haiti, speaking on what he can recall about his friend and colleague.
6: I have to tell you, we really appreciated Glenn because uh, Glenn, of course, knew about the history of Haiti. Glenn kept up on news, what was going on in Haiti. And Glenn cared about not just Haiti, uh, but uh, the reality of Black people, of people in struggle everywhere around the world. With Haiti in particular, He understood the importance of Haiti to the liberation, emancipation of black people around the world. I can say people that was born out of resistance and a successful resistance to slavery. And again, It's a people, the Haitian people, that have really never let up throughout uh, centuries of uh, oppression, centuries of uh, blockades, as I sometimes say to people, you know, uh, the Cuban revolution has had about 60 years of embargo, but Haiti is a country that has had more than 200 years of embargo by what's called the international community and we always point out that the same people who upheld who ran the institution of slavery they are the people running the world today through institutions like the united nations we have always found glenn to be first of all a principled revolutionary (laughs) someone with like a a serious conviction because as so many people are saying right now and they always say about Glenn, Glenn could have easily been on the other side, one of these black intellectuals who pimped their credentials, who pimped their uh, access to sell off our people. And of course, Glenn didn't choose to do that. And also Glenn was a very principled, I mean, a disciplined uh, individual in that uh, he, we understand up to the last moment in the hospital, Glenn was uh, was working to get, uh, we read something by his daughter saying, yeah, he's, pre- he's uh, about to die over here and he knows that you know, he's very weak, time is coming, but he's preparing the next issue of Black Agenda Report to make sure that it goes out. So he, Glenn was someone we really he, look up to. We he, And it's funny, the slogan that he ends his programs with, his radio programs, Information for Liberation. And he, since 2014, 2004 we've had uh, a, we ha- from 2004 to 2014 for 10 years we had a radio program in the Haitian community called Lakou New York which is like the New York community the New York Haitian community and the slogan we used was information pour libération which is a literal translation of uh, information for liberation. So uh, I'll tell you uh, uh, something I spoke about this week on Haitian, and on my, my radio program is uh, at Komokoda, we took the position from 2014. We took the position that it, the Democratic Party should choose another candidate. If they don't, we will ask another pe- our people, whoever's listening to us, that even if it's a dog running against Hillary Clinton, you have to vote for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and we always say that when we said that the first time, we didn't know it would have been a real dog running against Hillary Clinton. But that <laughs> was what we said. Of course, we would love to vote for the Green Party for someone like Monica Moorhead or one of these other progressive candidates but the only way to stop Hillary Clinton is to drop a vote for the racist pig Donald Trump on Tuesday. And so I did the interview but I really didn't expect for Glenn to play it, you know? And when the Monday came And I'm listening to the program, and he plays it. And I'm like, (laughs) who does this, you know? And uh, in January, after the next January, he called me again for a a follow-up interview. And I'm Glenn, what's going on, Glenn? You know, I didn't expect you to play this interview here. Your buddy was a candidate, you know? (laughs) And he laughed and laughed. He's like, come on, man. (laughs) So uh, really, uh, we're going to miss Glenn. And I'll tell you, we really, really appreciated that uh, when Barack Obama was running and when Barack Obama got elected, it was such jubilation, you know, in the black world, you know, it's like Africans. On the continent, Africans in Haiti, Africans, black people over here, everywhere, I'm sure in Canada as well, were like, you know, this is a new day. And Glenn was like, no, this is business as usual, okay? And when you, and we really appreciated that he stood firm, black agenda stood firm, that this was not, this was imperialism this was the system needing a black face to uh, you know to trick the world to to get away from you know the hate the uh, all that uh, george bush the son represented we really appreciate glenn and i'm going to miss these calls and uh, uh, he just he, a very principled, someone, as I said, full of conviction and someone who did not he, he bend from he, his fight for the liberation of he, our people, not just here in the United States, but the black people all over the world and, of course, the oppressed all over he, the world from Palestine, to, I don't know, to Iraq, to Afghanistan. So that was what, that is what Glenn represents to us. And we, of course, do everything to live up to that kind of legacy.
0: Over the last hour, you heard our tribute to the life and legacy of the renowned veteran journalist and founder of Black Agenda Report, Glenn Ford. Our cast of guests included Ajamu Baraka, national organizer for the Black Alliance for Peace, independent journalist and BEAR editor Anne Garrison, Oakland organizer Elias Amare, and Brooklyn based radio host Dahood Andre. Audio came from the Paul J and the Real News Network, from Jared Ball of Black Power Media. For more in Glenn Ford, please feel free to peruse all of the tributes posted at the website blackagendareport.com. You've been tuned to the Global Research News Hour, a show funded by the Centre for Research on Globalisation and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on Occupied Anishinaabe the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Nehiwak and the Nakota. The show airs on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on our show, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. Music for this week's broadcast is Shifting Sands by Purple Planet Music, accessible on the site purple-planet.com. I've been your host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us.